You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and at DCAUreview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode 44 of the DCAU Review. I am Liam. With me, as always, is Cal. Cal, we got a really exciting episode, One of the maybe one of the best episodes of any of the DCAU shows here today. Uh, I would definitely agree with you, and not just because we are such an agreeable <laughs> pair. Uh, Liam, this this episode that we have uh, to talk about today, which is Legends uh, Justice League episode here, uh, is near and dear to my heart, is one of my favorite of all time uh, in the DCAU review. I absolutely adore this episode. Yeah. So many great things here. Uh, to talk about today. I'm excited. I'm excited we're talking about this episode when we decided we were going to do some more Justice League episodes and that we weren't just going to kind of go down the path and stick to the the order of of airing. I was uh, excited because I knew that this was one that I would want to review. So um, I'm excited to jump in and talk about it today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess from here we can jump right into plot. Um, Tale as old as time. Uh, the Justice League's fighting a big old robot in the middle of uh, Metropolis, it appears. Uh, who's who's manned by a person who is clearly Lex Luthor. This yes. is just sidebar. Clearly it's Lex Luthor. Yet, they almost make it remain a mystery as if... As if... They, like, intentionally don't show his face. Right, like it's supposed to be some sort of big mystery. He's wearing Luthor's armor... Right. He's wearing. He's he's clearly Lex Luthor. Right. Yet they choose not to reveal his identity in this, which led me to believe that maybe this episode aired out of order, and you weren't supposed to know, right. or maybe previously there was. I don't know. Lex was supposed to die. At the, like it was supposed to look like he died at the end of the the last episode. I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. It's very strange that they Unclear. that they don't acknowledge him, and there's no DVD commentary to listen to 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 find out why. Right. He a, anyway. Small sm- small complaint. Right. But uh, as as this big giant robot explodes, the Flash is also running very fast around it, trying to keep it from falling on the rest of the unconscious league members of Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, and Martian Manhunter. That creates, of course, a classic uh, classic Flash moment as he runs so fast that he creates uh, an alt- or he rips, but, rips through reality and uh, transports all of them to an alternate dimension. Yeah, and if you've watched any of the Flash TV series or you've ever read any of the comic books, this is a regular occurrence. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, being able to, to transport in between time and uh, rip, rip holes into the time-space continuum is, is sort of the Flash's M.O., but this is the first time in the uh, in the Justice League, at least, that we see this sort of uh, crossing over into another dimension. It's later on. There's some, some exposition from uh, Tom Turbine, uh, who explains sort of the multiverse theory. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, is a classic uh, part of the DC universe and yeah. uh, DC comics, and then and also harkens back to those original like '60s Justice League Just Society crossovers yeah. where it was established they were on alternate Earths, and right. even before you got in on all, all the crazy crises and stuff like that. Correct. Even back to the very first, it was kind of established these are two alternate worlds with alternate histories. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you said, they go to this alternate dimension. They uh, end up in a uh, place called Seaboard City. (laughs) Did you hear what he called me? Yeah, Green Guardsman? What's up with that? Perhaps you haven't heard, but in Seaboard City, crime doesn't pay. 
um, which in case you haven't heard in Seaboard City, crime doesn't pay. Correct. Um, and it's a flashback to the 1950s era of comic books. You know, you have um, these characters who obviously represent uh, the old incarnations of the Justice Society. Yeah. Um, now, I, I definitely remember reading someplace there was something something more or less, uh, because of the type of story they were telling, DC Comics was not a fan of them basically crapping all over uh, the you know 60 or 70 year history yeah. of the Justice Society uh, by turning them into sort of, you know, not necessarily villains, but caricatures, I guess. Yeah. So they they wanted to pay respect without taking a crap all over that right. history. So they or came without out killing them off either. That too, yeah, K- killing the characters in case you know down the line they were able to to you know use these guys. Right, and what. several of them are you know the actual incarnations of Black Canary and Wildcat. Uh, right. Certainly, and not this version of... I mean, Tom Terrific is sort of between Super, Golden Age Superman and the Atom, the original right. Atom. Um, so not quite that, but the Atom does appear later. So, you, yeah, you, you would have... It would have been tougher to do Justice League Unlimited had they used the actual Justice Society here. Absolutely. And it's a shame we never actually got incarnations of, you know, the Jake Eric Flash, who the yeah. streak represents, or Alan Scott, uh, Green Lantern, who, of course, Green Guardsman is yes. representative of... Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you do have, you do have the, this episode, which kind of fills that, that, that hole for you and, uh, gives you, gives you a taste of probably what your parents or maybe your grandparents, the comic books that they read. And, uh, you know, it harkens back to that, that simpler time. Yeah. Uh, so right away though, the justice league is su- suspect that something is afoot. Right. And, uh, they spend the majority of the first episode battling these villains who also represent some of the, uh, I guess it's silver age, right? Golden, yeah. Gold, and, silver Gold age, and silver yeah. age villains. You have the, uh, the music master who is sort of a stand in for the fiddler. Mm-hmm. Of course, later on, on brave and the bold show, there was the music Meister who was also a takeoff on that character. There you go. Um, you also have you have the uh, Sir Swami, who is a takeoff on the Wizard. He also his design looks. We can get that, that more in visuals, but he just looks like a third season Adam West Bat villain. That's true. Um, and then you have uh, the Sportsman, Sportsman, who is of course the Sports Master. And then you have uh, Doctor Blizzard, Doctor Blizzard, who is uh, the Icicle, pretty much straight up, except in a Doctor's uh, Doctor's outfit instead of uh, his more traditional supervillain garb, but. So you have these homages uh, to that era. These guys are the, are the villains that are attacking Seaboard City. The Justice League or the members, uh, Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, Martian Manhunter, and the Flash are uh, all helping kind of save the city. And uh, as they are are doing so, they start to you know come to realize that things aren't aren't right. They, uh, Haw- it starts with Hawkgirl discovering some graves. Yeah, that's uh, the, on the that's, outskirts. That's our, the end of part one, which is an interesting way to leave a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. You bold move, and I think it, I think it works. I mean, obviously, we watched these part one and two back back right. to back, um, but I think as a cliffhanger, it works really well. Yeah, it's one of the better. If you look, at they tried to basically end every part one with a pretty big moment, and this is, I think, definitely uh, the best cliffhanger that they did. Even though it's kind of weird to say that, like you said, because we watched these back to back, right? Imagine as these were airing on TV, one part a week. It, right. it, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great 
uh, dramatic cliffhanger to end on, especially because the first part is so light mm-hmm. and so like that's a lot of jokes and funny stuff and you know uh, homages to the. There's also some '60s Batman thrown in there sure. with the the Irish police captain, the the red phone, and most of uh, Ray's dialogue sounds like it could have been Burt Ward Robin stuff. So Definitely. it's got a couple holy. Um, yeah blank moments in this episode as well absolutely so uh and then you end on that note and then you begin part two with green lantern and hawk girl kind of investigating while martian manhunter and the flash and the rest of the justice guild are fighting with these very cartoonish villains and then you know once the villains are captured we go back to the justice guild's headquarters and that's sort of when the big reveal is made as a Green Lantern and Hawkgirl discover that the real Justice Guild died and that this that this version of Earth was basically destroyed by nuclear war over 40 years ago and they can't exactly figure out why somebody's pretending but they realize that somebody is controlling this sort of uh, Matrix type uh, scenario for them mm-hmm. and that's when Martian Manhunter I guess sort of cyclically realizes that uh, that uh, that Ray is the source of it all and uh, is a real he you know Ray shows off his true form this really deformed like looks like something out of one of the Fallout games like really yeah he's, he's clearly been deformed by nuclear yes. Fallout so yes so he was <laughs> and so it's revealed that he created these versions of his his childhood heroes basically because he gained these powers after the world was destroyed by nuclear war and rather than trying to cope with the world as it was he wanted to retreat back into this sort of safe uh, secure world. Uh, which leads to uh, the Justice League fighting him. They get overmatched, and these Justice Guild, in full realization that if they defeat Ray, they are going to cease to exist. And I don't want to go on for ten minutes here, but <laughs> I want to make a point of this because this, to me, is what the superhero genre can do that no other genre of entertainment, that any type of story can tell. Because you take characters especially a character like Superman, these very powerful characters, the idea that everyone would like to think that in that moment they would be willing to step up, and even if they didn't think we were, we were not coming back from this mission, but it's the right thing to do, and we'll save lives doing it, and we got to do it this way, no matter the cost. Yep. And that, to me, is it's such this beautifully heroic moment as the Justice Guild then attacks, they shout, let justice prevail... And they attack Ray, they defeat him, and then they all cease to exist. And that's basically the end of the episode, is Green Lantern powers up uh, Tom Terrific's interdimensional gateway, and they go and they go home, and that's kind of the end. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's super, like, it's silly as it sounds, like, it's super emotional at the oh end. Oh my gosh, I had tears in my eyes. It's so great. Um, so, let's get into scores. Uh, we could literally yeah. talk about this all day. Um, so my score for plot, it's, it's perfect. I gave it, I gave it 10 out of 10. It is tremendous. I love this episode from start to finish. It's great. Um, you know, there's highs, there's lows, there's times that you're laughing, times that you're chuckling, times that you, you know, that you feel, uh, you know, stress and angst and, uh, you know, there's mystery. And then at the end, you know, like you said, the, the sacrifice that the Justice Guild makes uh, in order to save the Justice League, like you said, knowing full well that they themselves would cease to exist. Yeah. Just every time it, it gets me, man. It, it's just, it's awesome. It's perfect. So I gave it 10 out of 10. What about you? Same. I'm, uh, I was at 10 out of 10. And 
if you want to nitpick stuff, you can here. Mm-hmm. But I don't. <laughs> but I don't really like the stuff. Like okay, Martian Manhunter just suddenly discovers because throughout the part one and the beginning of part two, Martian Manhunter is sort of having these flashes mm-hmm. where he basically sees the bombs going off and he sort of sees uh, the the world as it actually is with the buildings all wrecked. So it's sort of set up that Jean is having these visions, but then he sort of just discovers that it's Ray. And then, as you mentioned at the end, the Justice League wasn't even aware that the other humans that we see, the guy driving the ice cream truck, the mayor of the town, the police, were also real people. They were trapped, right? Right, yeah. because it's, yeah, obviously the Justice Guild were all illusions, but the rest of these people were trapped uh, living these sort of cardboard lives to to keep up the illusion that Ray had set up. Yeah. So if you want to nitpick there a little bit, you can. But mm-hmm. I just think overall, and uh, it's just it's just it's for the for everything that it was the homage to the Golden Age, to the uh, the heroic nature of the Justice Guild sacrifice, to the personality that you get a little bit more infused. We talked about this in In Blackest Night. We got a little bit of who John Stewart is in that episode, his feelings on like accountability of superheroes and stuff. But here we understand a little bit more about who John is as a person. Yeah, his, and he talks about how these comics that he read when he was a kid taught him what it meant to be a hero, and it's really like you really feel for John Stewart. Uh, and all the characters, but especially for John, as he's watching his his literal childhood heroes uh, fade away into the sunset. Yeah, it's so emotional. It's so well done. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you. That's why we both gave it. To yes. <laughs> so we can move right on here to music. Uh, we talked about this a little bit while we were watching it. There's a lot of scenes where the music is not overbearing. There aren't like a ton of traditional like big grand themes, like a Batman theme or a Superman theme. Mm-hmm. But that almost plays to its favor. You know, the scene where they're visiting the graves, there's very light music underneath of that mm-hmm. that adds to that tone when they're when they're searching through the library and they're in the subway station that's been destroyed. And then you get the very sort of uh, more triumphant music when, when the Justice Guild decides to fight Ray at the end. It reminds um, me it reminded me a little bit of the Apocalypse Now um, soundtrack. Hmm. Um uh, when we talked about that episode, and that episode, a lot of battling, a lot of fighting. Yes, um, definitely a more serious tone uh, throughout that that episode. But obviously, it crescendos to the point of Dan Turpin dying, right? Um, and the, the emotional letdown of that at, at that point. Um, it's a very similar feeling for me at the end of this episode because you know you have the emotional crescendo of them taking on this monster that is you know that has created this world and uh, you know is threatening to kill these these other heroes. They give themselves up for it. There's, and- a, little, there's a little bit of Return of the Jedi to that moment too, when Ray has John Stewart sort of in the air and he's sort of slowly yeah. killing him. And the Justice Guild kind of all turn, and they have to make the decision, and the music really swells there Agreed. to add to that. And then when they, like you said, as they're fading kind of into non-existence anymore, and that you know the the light behind them shines, Oof. the you know there's piano that crescendos. That's mm-hmm. that's really good. Yeah, I, I think the music yeah plays really well into this. Now the only thing I was missing, I wish there had been sort of like a a Justice Guild theme or yeah. something. Like, I think there's a little bit of one, but it doesn't stand out. It's not like the Grey Ghost. It's not... Or even something like the Blackhawks theme that sure. we get in Savage Time Absolutely. later on. Absolutely, yeah. Something that, that would be memorable specifically for them. Uh, be, 
because of that, and I'm I'm okay to look at this in like a, a critical eye. I do love this episode, but seeing that as something that was, may have been absent, I gave music eight out of ten. What about you? Yeah, I went seven out of ten. It's strong. It's very very good. Uh, like I said, it works that it holds back because when it does swell in the bigger moments, I think that really works to its advantages. Not perfect, but still very good. Agreed. Um, moving on right along to visuals and animation, we obviously can just probably do an entire podcast just on the design <laughs> of the world of the justice guild world sure um from as we mentioned they're they're all supposed to be a ama- you know they're sort of amalgams of different golden age heroes you've got wild cat mixed with sort of a golden age batman mm-hmm. you've got uh black canary uh whose name is black siren who of course is the name they end up using for the uh on arrow as like the earth 2 version right of of the Black Canary, so yeah, a little bit of a little bit of crossover and crossover, the way maybe some of these influence the the stuff that comes after sure. it as well. Um, and then you have you know the Green Guardsman is almost he doesn't have the the red shirt, right? But otherwise he is almost straight up Alan Scott, yep. Green Lantern. And uh, same with same with uh, the uh, with the streak. He's he his helmet's a little different. It's like a little like race car helmet with goggles yep. rather than the. Like the the Mer- the Mercury uh, mm-hmm. Messenger of the Gods helmet, but mm-hmm. still really really great. And you add in the villain designs and just the overall world, the, all the 50, all the people walking around in fifties clothing. Mm-hmm. Talk about setting the atmosphere for this. Yeah, it's 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 a fantastic looking episode too. And we've talked before about how episodes that are set in the daylight sometimes can look really really bad mm-hmm. i i did not get that feeling in this episode this whole episode is bright and sunny there's no mm-hmm. the only the only nighttime is literally the first 30 seconds the opening yeah before the before the uh, opening credits that's a good point yeah. um everything else is set during daytime um and uh it didn't look bad uh, maybe it's because there isn't there wasn't as much of a contrast between the nighttime and the daytime, so you know you kind of get used to it. But to me, I, I thought they did a, a great job. It didn't look out of place at any point. It didn't look really wonky. Um, you know, there was nobody that looked terribly off model. Um, you know, so I I I think that this episode looks great. That's that's something else that that. I think adds to it. You have yeah. uh, one of the cool things that I love is is when Doctor Blizzard freezes uh, the Flash and Black Siren in the block of ice initially, mm-hmm. and they freeze. And you look at him straight on, and the Flash is laying down on his back, and Black Siren kind of has her hand up, uh, sort of to protect herself. And then they cut to like the side profile yeah. uh, of it, and it's they're in the same exact position. And I thought I was like, man, that's that's a cool detail yeah. that they didn't they were able to keep that same position, and it looks like as if a camera had switched twist around to the other side so um visuals are fantastic in this episode i, I gave it a a, uh, a 10 out of 10 wow yeah i was i was uh, right around there eight out of ten i think they're really, really strong there's, there's a great shot at the end when the guild is fighting ray where he's sort of got this big protective bubble around them and they all go down and like individually start punching him <sighs> and they do this great 360 shot where you're you're following Ray around in a circle, mm-hmm. and you see the the Justice Guild members on the outside of the force field all beating away at it. Yep. It's a really, really tremendously well done thing. And I always like anytime you get that sort of three sixty stuff in in what is two dimensional animation. Yep. I always think that always stands out to me as so impressive. 
definitely. And, and the closing, the closing shot as they disappear. Oh my gosh, man! It, it, I mean, we already talked about it with the music, but them standing there, the streak puts his hand up, gives John Stewart the salute, Correct. and they just kind of fade away. And then John, you know, John exclaims, "No!" Uh, you know, the and, ring fading oh, off of his finger. Man, so good, man! It's such so 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 so. Good. I could, we could talk about that. Yeah, we could do an entire podcast. On talking about this during this podcast, yeah, even like the body language at the end when Hawkgirl and John are talking when they're back at the watchtower, and she sort of is trying to comfort him. It just feels very natural and very, very human. True, absolutely, yeah, I would agree. And uh, moving on to our final category, which of course is voice acting. Yeah, man, what's uh, who? Who do we have? Who do we have today that's uh, of note? We got a lot of people. Uh, first one I think worth mentioning. Well, there's two actually. Uh, Jennifer Hale plays Black Siren. Okay. She, of course, goes on to play Killer Frost and gotcha. Giganta later on mm-hmm. in Justice League. A veteran voice actress. She's in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have just a great cast. Uh, Ted McGinley is Tom Turbine. Such a tremendous Golden Age Superman stand-in. Yep, absolutely. Um, if Stephen Root as Catman does a good job. He doesn't have. He's probably the one that has the least amount of dialogue of mm-hmm. any of them. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of got to play gruff, tough guy. But he does it does a, a pretty solid job of that sure you have a uh, william cat as the green guardsman who is just tremendous yeah yeah he's really um, good i can't my ring <laughs> my ring doesn't work against aluminum yes uh, the the the, oh, the another homage that to the the alan scott green lantern of course is uh, lantern ring didn't work on wood. You could spend it probably like an hour just working on talking about say, the Easter eggs in yes, this episode that, and the that, homages. That's an entirely separate episode. And if you go to like the DCAU wiki, you can just read all the little references. Some of the names on the gravestones, mm-hmm. um, uh, stuff like that. We have a uh, David Naughton as the streak, who probably has the most to do out of the Justice Guild yeah, he, cast. He talks an awful lot, and he's tremendous both as that more traditional superhero like a super friends type voice actor mm-hmm. but he's also got some gravity to do because once especially once they start to realize that something's up and then once they understand what's happening definitely uh they've all got a part to play there that i think is really good and then of course playing ray uh, was one neil patrick harris get out television's neil patrick harris playing uh, Ray Thompson, of course, from How I Met Your Mother and uh, Doogie Howser, Doogie Howser, the Harold and Kumar movies, Broadway, and yes. uh, plenty of other the Tony Awards. <laughs> yes, plenty of other movies and television and, and stage work as well. Get out of here. He's really, really good too. Yeah. Um, it's funny to me because out of his voice acting work, he plays Nightwing in the Under the Red Hood movie, mm-hmm. and he also played Spider-Man on the very short-lived CGI Spider-Man cartoon from okay. the early 2000s. Okay. Um, and I don't think he was... I never thought he was bad, but I didn't think he was like particularly great in either of those roles. Yeah, I didn't and like then, him. I actually didn't like him as Nightwing. I thought it was distracting. That's fair. Um, but I thought he's tremendous here. One, I didn't realize it was him until I pulled up the IMDb That's always list a good thing. Here, uh, which, so he's not doing like over-the-top... He's not. He's not trying to let you know that it's right, him. Exactly. You know? Yep. And uh, and then sort of the shift at the end, and they do put some sort of effect on his voice when he turns into the more monstrous form. But I thought he did just a just a tremendous job. And of course, we always have to mention Corey Burton, the legend himself. He did at least three three voices. Yes. I love that it's a scene where he's talking to himself. <laughs> he's Doctor Blizzard, and, and he's the mayor. Right, and he's the mayor, and he was also the uh, the ice cream truck driver who uh, Green Lantern and the Hawk Girl interrogate at one point. So you, just, you always know when Corey Burton's there, he's going to do at least three uh, voices if you listen around for them. They're multi-talented. 
And it's like legend. it's important parts too. Like yeah. he he adds a lot to the parts that he uh, he does. But just an overall uh, an, a stellar voice cast in this episode. Um, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern. This is one of his greatest episodes, Agreed. in my opinion. Yep. Uh, one of the greatest single performances anybody in any of these cartoons has done. Fan- I, I, would, um, I would agree. Uh, Maria Canales, also, this is one of the first episodes of Justice League where we've actually seen her get more than, like, two lines. Yeah. And I think she's really good in it as well. She, Yeah, she plays she plays it really well. In, you know, in part one, when she's really indignant about having to help Black Sirens serve cookies. Be the woman, like the 50s right. woman, yes. Uh, that I thought that was fun to play. And then her sort of, as we mentioned, sort of comforting John at the end of, of part two as well. And, you know, again, laying a little bit of groundwork for their sort of future relationship. Absolutely. Um, and then you also have Carl Lumbly. He doesn't have much to do as John. He's incapacitated for a lot of both parts, but... He does that scream so well, though, yeah, when he's having every psychic time, I was like, pain. That's, that's burned into my brain. <laughs> like, John anytime Sucre- I read a comic with Martian Manhunter and he gets attacked at all, I just hear that sound. <laughs> John's, John's scream. And I, do th- I also really loved Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash. He did great. Because he does nothing... Because in a lot of these episodes, he is comic relief, and he's doing a lot of puns and jokes and quips. But in this world, it's like he's found his heaven. Yes, because the blizzard, Doctor Blizzard, is giving them right back to him. Right. So they're just going back and forth with a bunch of like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze type cold puns. Very good. It's so good. Yeah, my first thought was, oh, the the Flash, the Flash <laughs> is right at home. Here. Right. It's, he's it's loving so this. good. He's eating this up. So what, what did you give a score for voice acting? So for voice acting, I gave it a ten out of ten. Nice. Uh, I gave you? it. I gave it nine out of ten. You know, okay. I, I think. Um, I think it's really, really good. I think um, my, I guess if I was if I was nitpicking, I just feel like the um, the performance. I I like Tom Turbine's performance. I wish he had been given more, yes. uh, more to do, uh, more to flesh that out. And I, and it's not his. It's not the voice acting. <laughs> I guess that it's just that he wasn't given as much to okay. do. Um, That's fair. And yeah, I. I, I Nine out of ten, I think, is a is a fair score. It's certainly it's not really a bad. It's still an A. That's still an A. It's still know? an A. Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess that would start to wrap us up. But wait a second. Yes. That was, of course, the bonus point uh, sound, and yes. I don't have bonus points this week, so you must. Kyle. I do actually. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give a bonus point because this episode never fails to give me goosebumps. <laughs> That's why I plus will, one for goosebumps. Plus one for goosebumps. Um, you know, from from the very beginning. Uh, when Tom Turbine shows up and he, he delivers the line. I mean, how how many times have you and I repeated one that of, line to each other in our lives? One of the most quoted from the time that probably we first saw this episode all the way through to present day. It's, Perhaps you haven't heard, in Seaboard City, crime doesn't pay. It's great. And when he throws it at Ray again at the end of it. We died once to save this earth, and we can do it again. You messed things up. What is this? In Seaboard City, crime doesn't pay. Yep. Seaboard. So, oh man, I've got I got goosebumps just thinking about when it. When right the guild now. stands, puts their fists in the air, and shouts, "Let justice prevail!" It's it's and and that end scene, the end scene where they decide that they're going to sacrifice themselves, having being fully aware. Um, that you know, 
they're they're giving up their lives in order to save somebody else's life. Yeah. Um, you know, how can you not get emotional about that? Like, yeah. It, yeah, it's drawings. Okay, it's fine. It's drawings. But just the act, that act of that um, is is always, it, it, you know, I always appreciate seeing that in whatever media form it is. So, um, plus one for Goosebumps. <laughs> All right, so that brings us towards our final scores here. I have this as a very, very strong 35 out of 40. Definitely one of my favorites that we've reviewed so far. Definitely the best Justice League episode we've reviewed so far. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Um, I gave it a very, very strong 38 out of 40. Wow. Uh, very close to being perfect. You know, nit- you can say it's nitpicky here or there. Um, very close to being perfect. We're, we're big believers in going with your guts when That's it comes right. to, your, to your original scores. That's right. Just because, oh, we're close to 40, you shouldn't. we generally don't feel like we have to uh, give it 40, but uh, obviously 30 out of 40, one of your highest rateds uh, ever on, on this, pro- on this uh, as a 44th episode, so yeah. plenty to choose from here, and there's not many that are, that are in this air. Agreed. Yeah, man. Well, as, as we are wrapping up here, just want to thank you again for listening. Always thank you guys for taking the time to listen to us. Interact with us on Twitter at DCAU Review. Let us know your thoughts, your memories of this episode. Uh, let us know what you'd like to see us review next. We're counting down towards our review at the end of this month on March 30th of the Justice League versus Fatal Five. Brand new, so excited movie. Man, it's it's coming out. Uh, so we're reviewing Justice League all March long. Uh, love to hear some other episodes you think we should review. Uh, any other thoughts on this one? Maybe you're wrong and you think this is a bad episode. <laughs> um, you can talk to us about your wrong opinions, too. That's right. Um, but other than that, they can do that. And, of course, head to DCAU Review. Cal, you've done such a good job setting up that site. Oh, thanks, buddy. Especially for newer view- uh, newer listeners, you can uh, go search by uh, show. You can check out if you want to hear our Batman the Animated Series episodes. You can search by any of the four shows. You can search by villains, by character. Really easy to navigate if you and if, if you prefer to stream the episodes rather than download them on a podcast app, that is the place to go. Absolutely. So on that note, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Liam. And I'm Cal. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.